Hi, this is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. If you're interested in learning about the ketogenic diet like I was to save my own life, then this is probably the podcast for you. Eight years ago, I knew nothing about it. Six years ago, it saved my life. Three years ago, I started researching and talking with some of the authorities in the field and attending medical conferences about this to understand why and how keto so dramatically changed my and my wife's Judy's lives. The purpose of this podcast is to share our journey of discoveries with you in understanding how keto is so effective in improving so many different conditions from obesity, epilepsy, diabetes, infertility, MS, Alzheimer's, heart disease, to name a few. So take a step away from all the hype you've probably heard and roll up your sleeves with me and join me weekly to explore this living miracle that anyone can access. We'll talk science, we'll talk food. We'll explore its history and evolution to today, which is that the sheer wonder of the ketogenic way of eating has changed untold number of lives, unlike anything before it. And in case I forget to mention it, please join our Facebook group, Keto Naturopath. All right, welcome back to the next episode of the Keto Naturopath. This is Dr. Carl Goldcamp. You know, today I wanted to talk about something that I got stirred up over, and that is I was seeing a uh, TEDx talk that went back to 2014, and this was a Canadian psychologist who's now living in uh, New Zealand and working at the Mental Health and Nutrition Institute. Sounds pretty interesting. And basically, she reviewed a number of studies and so on and so forth. But the gist of what she was saying is, gosh, we ought to look at, we ought to use nutrition as a treatment for mental health. And she said she started to get interested in this, oh, uh, 20 years previously when she was studying at, and I guess it's University of Alberta, uh, but she heard about this, this family in Alberta that was using vitamins to treat their family history of schizophrenia, bipolar, and psychosis, and was doing just fine. And to her, it was a surprise. Part of that is like, it, it, you know, wow, uh, it's not that surprise. Back in the 50s and 60s and 70s, there was a man named Abram Hoffer, who's also Canadian, Saskatchewan, um, who worked in a very similar sort of thing, not to get into that work, but uh, he was big on niacinamide, which is a form of B3, and uh, also had uh, protocols that uh, for reducing alcoholism. Pretty interesting, but it never caught on. But the, the truth has been out there. The, the way it catches on or doesn't catch on has to do with more about media and has more to do about where are the financial interests of the day. Are they willing to rise up to help or are they getting more money from the pharmaceuticals and all the other costs of disease, which is a business? So, um, but this ties into, you know, she went through a number of cases and one was pretty reference that she made of a study that was done in 2009 that said that, you know, they had this uh, group of pre-adolescent boys that were at risk for uh, psychosis. And I don't know what the definition is for at risk for psychosis, but they took this population of boys and they simply for a year gave one group fish oil and for the other group uh, it's just placebo and at the end of the year they looked at what you know what these lives had had done and so on and so forth and a very high percentage i think it was up in the 90s of the placebo group converted to to a psychosis and um that is they got worse they did not get better and then the group that was given the fish oil only the fish oil so you can think of epa and daja that there's a very small percent, I think it was 3% or less, converted to psychosis. So it's a dramatic, a hugely dramatic. You can look back and say, gosh, was that ethical to do that study or not? Well, after this study was done and that that's now unknown, you'd have to have that discussion. But prior to 
they expected nothing to be between the no difference between the two groups, and yet there was a huge difference. So that changed things. Uh, whether that gets incorporated long term or not, uh, I'm a little more uh, skeptical that the powers that be would would you know. I don't think the cavalry is coming. I think this is great information. I'm glad it was done, and we should use it individually. It'd be nice to be done collectively. Maybe some Western countries. That's true. So they went on to basically say that uh, we find the rates of all mental illnesses have been increasing. And let me give you, this is just some of her particular, uh, and I'll list this, I'll post this particular talk, that um, the rates of mental illness have been increasing a lot, for instance, from a roughly 2009 to 2014, the previous five years, uh, you had twice the number of schizophrenia, three times the number of HDA, uh, 40 times the number of bipolar in children, four times over the previous 20 years of people are now actually qualified for disability due to psychiatric reasons, primarily depression. And so the rates of, uh, of generally of, of mental illness have been s s soaring. And in 2012, the prescription uh, was 38% higher for antidepressants than five years previously. They were two times higher for antipsychotics than they were six years previously. This is in New Zealand, which can pretty much be the rest of the world as well. So um, from that, they started, uh, there's a few other studies that simply have used micronutrients. So those are vitamins at higher doses and much more broad spectrum. So a, a big vitamin pill amped up for people and found out that that also diminished these rates of these particular smaller studies. And there's a number of studies that are talked about, and it was all interesting to hear. But the question is, and she ended up saying that obviously the association was with uh, processed foods and not processed foods. You know, that we, since we have processed food, it's devoid of nutrition. And, and in my way of looking at it, this is the new age of starvation. We are starving and yet we have calories. We don't have nutrients, but we have calories. And this has been going on now for a number of decades, uh, more, certainly more than one generation, as is evidenced by the huge you know, CDC reference to chronic illnesses increasing 40% over the last, what, 30 or 40 years, we'll say 50 years to make it a general. And then you follow that with you know, obesity and you follow that with autoimmune, you follow that with. So, I mean, they, they all have a close correlation with the same rates. And so they must be created by the same thing. You know, they look alike, they might be alike in many ways because of their cause. And I believe it, the causes, the bigger causes are, you can say, well, inflammation, that's a little bit too broad and big and nobody can continue with that. But I think you can look at your omega-3 and omega-6 uh, references and that's really interesting when they took the pre-adolescent boys and just gave them fish oil what did that do well for those who took it um, they changed their ratio of omega-6 to omega-3 dramatically so that changed their inflammation systemically that changed their uh, neurotransmitter ability to produce dramatically and so just that alone fish oil alone on a regular basis relative to their placebo counterparts changed many lives. And so to that adding in, but the um, this talk ended with, gosh, we just don't know who will benefit. 
by uh, foods and who will benefit by specific uh, micronutrients. And I kind of wish I was there and raise my hand in the back and saying, well, you know what it is, it's you do the the data analysis, you do the genomic analysis and you find out, which I've certainly been doing since the early 2000s and many other people have as well. So that's not a new situation. That is the way of saying, who is the most vulnerable among us to malnourishment? You know, when it starts. So I talked in previous podcasts about the Dutch hunger um, winter from 1944 to five, how schizophrenia rates were huge. And you go, well, that was a terrible situation. Well, I'm saying that that was a six and seven month starvation period and obviously bad nutrition that and these are the first and most vulnerable people of that suffered and probably died as well. And so there's a way to determine who is the most vulnerable in our culture that needs this particular attention. The other is obviously let's have better diet. I don't know if better diet's ever going to change. I think better diet comes through education that people choose to eat better. They choose better meats. They choose better produce. They don't do the processed foods, but that comes through education. It's not just sort of saying, well, we provided these choices. If they don't have the education uh, and they are prone to addiction, they're going to go back to the addictive foods. And so, and by those addictive foods, they're not getting the nutrition they need, but primarily that omega-6, omega-3 ratio, and primarily it's going to affect their glutathione uh, ability. So if you can support your glutathione manufacturing by not just foods alone, but actually taking supplements and while you're educating yourself, your family or whoever, because ultimately it is your responsibility to have your health be in your hands. We've been through generations of doctors not knowing enough and not even believing nutrition had any value. And now we're finding absolutely it's very valuable. You know, look at the side effects of all these medications that are directly about nutrient depletion and nutrient blocking. So if we can get over that hurdle, but primarily that's about education. However, the correlation is very clear. You know, the omega-6, omega-3 ratio, find out what it is. Don't go with the assumption that oh my gosh, you know, I think I'll eat better foods. I'll eat, I, I promise I'll eat less omega-6 as if they know enough to identify it. They'll say, oh, it's the seed oils. Okay, well, drop it, find it. But I think you need to measure and you need to measure again in six months and to measure in another six months until you get it under control in your life with your data. It's about you, not about some universal truth out there. Okay, so the other thing would be, and you can measure glutathione, there's if you can't do it, you can ask your doctor to go measure my glutathione. There's plenty of labs. LabCorp does it. Uh, Genova Labs does it. If these are fancy words, ask them and say, this is what I want. And if you have these two tests and you can, there you go. You can do the fish oil experiments, just like these pre-adolescent kids, right? Look at the profound change that created. It will make a profound change for you as well. Then you look at your glutathione. Well, you can take now, they have supplements that are Absorbable. So the problem with glutathione before was you couldn't take glutathione. It wasn't absorbable. So that was like, gosh, the answer wasn't applicable. But now they have liposomal glutathione. You can take uh, reduced glutathione, which came out about maybe 20 years ago. Um, that's better than former generations for sure. Liposomal is then 10 years after that was better than even that. Now they have acetyl uh glutathione. So you actually can get in there and have directly and immediately affect your levels of glutathione. So putting those two together is a dramatic change forward. You know, you have truly changed. So whether you're in 
the mental illness camp, whether you're in the obesity camp, whether you're in the pre-diabetes camp or the metabolic dysfunction camp, or whether you're in the um, autoimmune disorders camp, or whether you're in the early cognitive decline disorders camp. These are things that can directly, so there's two things, not that sophisticated. I would say the third thing that you should do after you've done these two is then look at your genome and work with somebody who can interpret the genome for you and saying, you know, let's, and also that has to be coupled with nutrient depletion. So do they know how to look at your levels? And it's not just serum. It's not just blood work. Everything comes from the blood, of course, but it's intracellular within the cells. You know, get a company like Spectracell to do that. So if you have that together with your set of genes, you have an incredible match. That's how you put these things together. And that's how you come up with an answer that makes something relevant for you to go forward or your children or your partners or whoever you care about. Let me give you some basic um, ability. If you're, people always say, so what's the natural way to increase my glutathione? Well, I'm not quite sure if you can, well, if you step away from processed foods, let me just give you a, a list of basic things you can do to quote unquote increase, boost your glutathione. One is you, you know, you have good foods, it could affect your genes positively. So if you have foods like fish oil, green tea, antioxidant, blueberries, which are have compounds known to activate glutathione-producing genes, that's a good thing. That's kind of a bare, bare bones. And it's not black or white. It's if you have a, lined up 100 people and gave them all blueberries, would they all equally change for the better? They'd probably all change for the better, but they would not change all equally by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, also, limit toxic exposure. So what does that mean? Known toxic exposure. So if you can avoid chlorine, if you can avoid being an alcoholic, if you can avoid um, heavy metals and so on and so forth. So, you know, eat organic produce, grass-fed meat. I know it sounds top-end, wild-caught fish. I want to interject the idea there is no such thing as cheap food. So if you want to buy cheap food at the register, that's called processed foods. If you're eating processed food because you say you can't or you can't afford anything else, but you can afford Starbucks, well, then you're lying to yourself and you've made, you have mixed priorities. So there's no such thing as cheap food. You eat cheap food and it's going to cost you personally by your health. And um, when you look about, you know, farming and so on and so forth of cheap food, it's a lot of pesticides and it's a lot of detriment to the soil and so on and so forth. So there's that cost and there's a social cost. So you can go on and on there. So there's no such thing as cheap food. So when somebody says grass-fed meat or wild-caught fish, you go, oh, I can't do that. I can't afford it. You're making choices and the bigger picture is that. Um, let's see. Uh, so what they say when, and I always have a tough time accepting this as reality, seek out glutathione-rich produce like avocados, asparagus, spinach, squash, melons, grapefruit, and peaches, all high in plant versions of glutathione. That's pretty hypothetical. I understand what they're talking about, but I have not seen that happen. And usually if I said that to people, and um, there would be an extreme minority of people who would do that. First of all, it would have to be organic because you don't want the pesticides and... and um, then I'd, I'd also, I always like to look at their glucose and insulin levels to see um, what they are, to really get a good measurement. So I, some of the tests are glutathione, or I'll tell you about that, the omega-6 panel, of course, insulin and, um, I said uh, insulin and glucose, and get your li lip, lipid panel 
I'm interested in your uh, HDL, your triglycerides. So also, generally speaking, they say, hey, eat cruciferous vegetables, the broccoli, cauliflower, cabbage. They're all cruciferous, a mustard family, if you will. Uh, it's because their blossom have a cross. That's hence cruciferous. Used to be called brassicacea, but um, anyway, they this is supposed to be precursors of glutathione. They are cysteine-containing foods, and cysteine as an N-acetylcysteine, NAC, is a rate-limiting step in making glutathione. So hypothetically, it's there. I have not seen people go, I eat a lot of cruciferous. I didn't know there's a thing in broccoli called sephorophane and so on and so forth. Knew that 25 years ago. I really don't know anybody who drink eats broccoli or Brussels sprouts. They left that one out. Uh, on a regular ba- basis. Garlic, of course, is another one. We talked about supplements. You could think about other antioxidants. Don't go too crazy, but there are things like vitamin C and E, which you know of. Uh, also a thing called ALA, alpha lipoic acid, which is primarily in, in animal meats and it's uh, big in liver as well which is one reason why people are low on it you know not only were they processed food people but they weren't organ meat eaters because it's kind of like drifted away from our culture of having these things that you have to have nobody has to have it anymore so they now are shy on that one ala is a big deal it's really right up there with glutathione not quite and also aerobic exercise uh strength training just exercise in general didn't mean to say aerobic but exercise if you're if you're not getting exercise you're contributing to your lack of glutathione these are the basic things you need to do um we've talked before if your concern is cognitive health then you really do need to look into mct oils because they make ketones ketones are a great way of feeding the brain depending how old the brain is in your case are you a youngin are you an olden you know it's um it's something to put in, and, and that speaks to the low-carb diet, and which I totally believe, the ketogenic diet, which I totally believe. We're obviously over on the protein-sparing, modified fast way of doing things. But um, you don't have to go where we are, but I do think you need to drop your carbs by a lot, and you need to make your carbs count if you're going to have carbs, and it has to be le- green leafy, unpesticided vegetables. So that was a shot in the arm. The idea being, how about nutrition to counter what's in front of our culture? It has to be on you. It's not The government's not going to come in and give a mandate. They're not going to say, there's plenty of research paper out there that's saying, you know, it's actually cheaper to advise about nutrition or even to advise about supplements. Well, I don't think cheaper is anybody's draw anymore. I think there is so much money to be made on medicines that you have a huge you have a huge consortium of a lobby, which is called the pharmaceutical industry. And then you have the fast food industry. So truth to that power, uh, you're going to have to speak to a person who's like a Teddy Roosevelt, who's willing to turn on his uh, group who, anyway, that's politics, but you know what I mean. It's yes, the truth is there. I don't think the truth will be responded to. And I'm not being pessimistic. I'm saying it is up to you and your body because that's how you came into this world. It's a deal that only you got. And it's a deal and a responsibility only you have now. So I'm going to end the rant there, but I hope it was uh, fruitful. So we talked a little about testing, talked a little bit about supplements. We talked a little bit about um, diet and things that you can do to start making a difference. Don't be scared of looking into technical things like the glutathione and the omega panel, and don't be scared of addressing it for you. This is basic stuff. All right, till next time. Take care.
Hi, this is Dr. Goldkamikin for a brief reminder of something I completely forget to do at the end of every episode. You've heard me talk long enough and many different episodes, but what I would love you to do, and many of you have already done this, I just want to reinforce this particular behavior, which is to send me your questions. Send me your questions and anything you have about keto. If there's something that I don't know, I will look it up. And if it's something that intrigues me, I will probably make an episode, uh, a podcast about that particular topic. So what you need to do is to send me your questions at drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. So that's D-R-G-O-L-D-K-A-M-P at K-E-T-O-N-A-T-U-R-O. P-A-T-H.com, drgoldcamp at ketonaturopath.com. Feel free to join our Facebook group, which is also ketonaturopath.com. That's been growing lately. You also have to answer a questionnaire should you choose to join. And I don't ask for your email. I ask that you follow our terms. I try to avoid uh, advertising and uh, the obvious interruptions of just a good Facebook group. So hope to see you at one place or other. Please send me your questions and uh, look forward to talking to you and getting to know you. Take care.